the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And our subject is stages of conversion to God. And here really is a wonderful uh, lecture or lesson apart from anything else in pastoral theology and the nature of conversion and the relationship between regeneration and illumination. And particularly there's a message here for all who have never yet come to Christ and sought him out. So verse 22, he cometh to Bethsaida and they bring a blind man unto him. But verse 21 that precedes it, very necessary to look at this just as we begin. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? This is the problem that was encountered when the uh, Lord uh, at sea uh, crossed the lake of Tiberias with the disciples, uh, warns them about the hypocrisy, the leaven, the false teaching of the Pharisees. And they think, for some extraordinary reason, that he is reproving them for not having taken bread aboard the boat before they sailed. Well, of course, these are the very disciples who'd witnessed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men, many thousands of others, including women and children, and also the miraculous feeding a little later of the 4,000. How could they possibly be being reproved for not having taken bread when he is the one who can create, if necessary, and make so much and feed so many? And he says to them, how is it that you do not understand? Of course, he knew the answer to the question. He knew all things. But he challenges the disciples. Do you understand yourselves? He might well have said, well, you follow me. You've given up everything. You've given up your businesses, your work, your profession, and you follow me, and you see in me the hope of all things. Well, they were mistaken in some of their expectations. As you know, they thought he would be a political deliverer and messiah. They didn't fully understand yet that he was entirely a spiritual deliverer or messiah. But uh, here he says, how is it that you do not understand that he could produce food if desired just at will? Well, how was it? They'd given up all. They'd grasped that he was special, that he was probably the Messiah. They realized that he knew all things, that he had these great powers, that he fulfilled many of the prophecies. They loved him. They followed him. You could say that their eyes were, in a measure, opened. Had they been regenerated by the Spirit of God, that is to say, had God put life into their hearts to open them up to readiness to receive and recognize Christ? Surely so. 
Surely the work of God had begun in their hearts without doubt. And yet there was much that they still didn't grasp. They wouldn't, for example, grant Calvary until it happened, and the atonement, and the resurrection, until these things took place and happened. And then their illumination, following their regeneration, would, as it were, be complete. And when you come to understand conversion, salvation, the old Reformed commentators and theologians were right when they said almost with one voice that regeneration issues in conversion. I don't want to spend time with this, but there is a very popular teaching these days by earnest people and faithful people, but it's a relatively modern teaching, well for it to be so popular, and the teaching is that regeneration as an instantaneous, invisible inner act of God includes everything, not merely life in the soul, the conception of life and awakening, but it includes every aspect of conversion. And you one day suddenly come to and find you want to exercise faith and repent, but you are, so it's asserted, fully converted, and it's happened without you knowing it in the flash, in a moment. But the biblical understanding, and you see it in the theology of the miracles, as well as in the teaching of Christ, is summed up by saying that regeneration issues in conversion and illumination is not all-encompassing and instantaneous necessarily. It may be for some Many people, but that's not the general rule. And the Puritans never thought so. And the Continental Reformers never thought so. And the great uh, Reformed tradition of the past never thought so. Regeneration is key. And once it's taken place, there is no doubt you will fully come to the Lord and your eyes will be opened and you will be converted. Life is within you. But the work of illumination, the work in the mind, the work in the heart to bring your love fully to him, the work in the will so that you yield fully to him, these things may come in bursts, usually fairly quickly, sometimes a little protracted. In the case of the disciples, over a period of two to three years. Well, here it is, verse 23. He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. His previous miracles in the town, in the village, a large village of Bethsaida, had been, well, he touched people. Didn't always do that. But that was the experience of Bethsaida, the touch accompanying the word of power from Christ. And so they naturally want him to touch the blind man. And in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand 
and led him out of the town. So the blind man of Bethsaida is led by the hand. Just in passing, why was he led out of town? Well, just in this very chapter, in verses 11 and 12, you see what happened in the previous location where Christ preached and healed. The Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Because there was no faith, there was disbelief. And it looks as though that same judgment had come upon Bethsaida. They had seen mighty miracles, but not anymore. He takes the man by the hand out of the town. There have been enough exhibitions, demonstrations of the power and goodness of Christ in Bethsaida. And they're against him generally. Their hearts are hardened. And so this blind man is taken out of town. But also for privacy. And also because clearly this is going to be particularly instructive to the disciples. Why do you not understand? He says to the disciples. Why don't you understand? So he works a miracle which will show them themselves. It's no accident that the healing of the blind man follows immediately after this question. Why don't you understand? It's going to be a literal healing and it's going to be more than an illustration. It's going to parallel the work of salvation so that the disciples see themselves and why it is that they come in steps and their understanding mounts so gradually. He led him out of the town. He took him by the hand. Let us say that that shows us the regenerating work of Christ. Once he takes somebody by the hand, that's wonderful. Salvation is underway. Conversion will begin. The process has been started. Life is brought in. So with me. So with you. If you're converted. A regenerating work of God begins it all. If that were not so, we would be unsaved to this day. We would resist him. We would recoil from the sound of the gospel. We would not want these things. But as the work of God opens the heart. We were hard and hardened. We were opposed to God. We were ignorant of the way of salvation. We were resistant. We clung to our sins and to our opinions and to our unbelief, our atheism. We were self-righteous. There was no spiritual life in us, not a flickering. The soul, we say, was dead. Perhaps better to say it was asleep. 
It didn't function. It didn't operate. And then the touch of God and Christ takes us by the hand and there's a great stirring within us and suddenly there is born in us a Christ-rejecting, resistant, cynical individual. There's born in us a need to know, a longing, an openness, a softening of hearts, a listening ear. It's the regenerating work of God. There's a strong drawing of us to the things that previously we've repudiated about Christ and about God. We are open. We are humbled. We are teachable. What a remarkable thing. And the people around us, the Christians say, he's changed. It's different. He hasn't made a profession. She isn't clear where she stands. But this is different. This is a tremendous change. I could hardly say a word before. And the expression changed. And the hardness manifested itself. And now there's a listening and a longing and an identification and a sympathy. What a change. Christ has the man by the hand. He cannot see a thing yet, but he meekly submits to being led out of town. It seems to me to be a wonderful picture of that regenerating work of God where life comes in. If this happens, it's certain, if it's real, that I'm going to be saved that I'm going to come all the way through to a full sight of the basis of salvation and my need and to repentance. He was led out of town. His former influences are seen to lose their hold on him. He's no longer in the environment he was in. That's what happens when the regenerating work of God takes place. The world begins to lose its hold already. Its influence is not so strong. Its teachings no longer command. But the gospel of Christ has a claim, must be heard. That's what I want to hear. That's what I need. So this new life will develop and understanding will quickly deepen. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. So he spat on his eyes. Well, that makes us uh, shudder a little bit. That doesn't sound too hygienic or straightforward. But of course the man was blind. Actually, it was a very sympathetic thing to do. But what does it indicate? Well, I go along, I must say, with the old preachers of generations ago and the old commentators who say he spat on his eyes because 
What came out of the mouth of Christ suddenly mattered to him. If you don't mind, it's a picture of the word of Christ. The gospel suddenly starts to come to him and make sense. What emerges from the mouth of Christ is going to enlighten the eyes and the understanding. It's just symbolic. He spat on his eyes. And that's what happens as a result of regeneration. The word of God begins to sink in. I am enlightened, illuminated. I come to see, first in perhaps a confused way. I see, first of all, I'm a sinner. And I'm desperately lost. And I need the forgiveness of God. I see these things. I see that only Christ can save me. I cannot deserve his love. I cannot earn it. And these sins in me, they're in my heart, in my nature, in my conduct, in my thoughts. I have a great backlog of guilt. I see things I never saw before. I need to be saved. Maybe I don't yet quite see Calvary and the nature of the atonement. I've seen this over the years. I've now been pastoring for 60 years. And I've seen this many times. Somebody says, I'm saved. Maybe they come to the church saying, I found God. I'm saved. I give my life to him. And you can see from their conduct and their desire and their hostility to sin and longing for holiness has been a work of redemption in their life. And then they begin to listen to the preaching and they come still to gospel services and Calvary sinks in in a way it never had before. And they come to you and say, was I saved? I've really just grasped the atoning death of Christ. And the price he paid and how he did it. Was that not like the disciples? They had come very close to Christ and serving him before Calvary happened, before the resurrection. And immediately after the resurrection, they've hardly had time to think, he breathed on them and imparted to them the Holy Spirit for witness. Of course they were already saved, but they were not entirely illuminated in one bound. And I've seen that many times. And some people will say, oh, but that person doesn't fully understand. Yes, but in the mystery of God's work, they have yielded to him and they have repented and they have trusted in him, even if they have to learn more fully just what Christ has paid and how it was done. And we see it here in the theology of the restoring of sight to this man. He spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw aught. Of course the Saviour knew exactly how much he could and couldn't see. 
just as he's effectively asking the disciples, why do you not fully believe or understand? Have you seen anything yet? It's a parallel. And he says, well, I see men as trees walking. He must have been enormously encouraged, even at this defective sight. I'm sure you and I would have been if we had been blind and something happened and suddenly we could see light and shapes and movement, even if we couldn't make yet head and tail of it. Why, that would be to us a tremendous change and miracle to see anything. So this man must have been fairly overwhelmed when we read the passage, we're used to sight. We say, how disappointing. Not to him. There was something there. And he would be overjoyed. What do you see? Well, I see men. He knew they were men because they were vertical and they were moving. And probably he could hear the voices. But they're like trees. They're so indistinct. They're so blurred. After regeneration, you see your sin. Some people see everything at once. Others don't see everything so clearly, immediately. Not fully illuminated as the disciples weren't about Calvary and the resurrection. Not fully grasping the price paid, exactly what was done to deliver them. So with us, people can yield to Christ and still need a fuller view, still need greater commitment to him, greater yieldedness to him. Suddenly there's even more love to be born in them. They've been amazed at what they hear. Soon they're going to be overwhelmed at what he's done for them and feel that real depth of indebtedness. This is wonderful. I see men as trees walking, stage by stage. Verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. Some translate it, made him look intently. Others translate it, made him look around. Certainly, he looked up and peered. It indicates there was expectation and greater hope in the man now. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. He was half right. He had seen men and moving, but they rather resembled trees. And now he saw every man, the same people, Clearly, he fully grasped everything. Regeneration leads to illumination. Maybe all at once, maybe in stages. Regeneration captures, therefore, the mind. Illumination and enlightenment. I understand my need more and more fully. I understand the gospel and how Christ has paid 
for my salvation more and more fully. Regeneration captures the heart. I am moved. But the more clearly I see it, the more deeply I'm moved. And I give myself wholly and unreservedly to him. Regeneration captures the will. Now I give up my worldly entertainments and I give up my worldly, selfish, self-seeking ambitions and I give up my sinful indulgences. Now the will is strong and in line with the mind and the heart. And that's the picture we derive, the parallel that we derive from this healing, accomplished immediately after, why don't you understand? And he sent him away, verse 26, to his house, saying, neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Don't go back to the old environment, in the case of this man. Don't go back to your old sins. Don't go back to your old pleasures and habits. Certainly go back to your old friends, but not to be led by them anymore. Not to be totally in line with them anymore, but to win them if you can and to demonstrate that the Lord has changed you. Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Now look, do you understand, Christ said to the disciples? Then there's the two-stage healing of the man, and look what immediately follows. Verse 27, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, and verse 29, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Do you get it, friends? Do you understand the demonstration of regeneration and enlightenment, just a little more gradual, the latter, And then the big question, who do you now say that I am? Doesn't that confirm that the miracle, wonderful and literal as it is, as a miracle, is also a lesson? It's also a lesson to them to show them themselves. And the gradualness of the opening of their faculties and their mind. And then he begins to teach them, verse 31, the Son of Man, they're just about ready now to begin to hear this, they're going to hear it three more times. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said it plainly. Openly. But look, Peter immediately proves the point. Verse 32, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. 
can't be so, he said, recorded elsewhere. It can't be like this. You can't be heading for suffering and death. He wasn't fully understanding, wasn't fully ready to take in every word of the Lord. But the Lord had just told him, I'm going to suffer and die. No, says Peter. How much trust was there? Yet he loves him. He's devoted to him. He's given up everything to him. But you see, there's still things not there, not in position. And the Lord says to him, you savor not the things of God, God's plan, and my way of salvation, and the price I shall pay. But you savor the things that be of men, an earthly savior who will just get rid of the Romans and make the land prosperous and give some righteousness blessing on the way, almost as an incidental. That's the way man would have it. It's not the plan of God. And verse 34, he calls people together and the disciples. You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. Can you see? Following regeneration, illumination, but it may be phased. The mind, the affections, the heart, summoned, may be phased. Not immediate. Then the will, take up your cross and follow me. It may be phased, but fairly quickly, by the time it comes to baptism and joining the church, it must all be in place. It must be obvious. It must be plain. You've been regenerated, illuminated, moved to love him fully and wholly. And your will has been conquered. It's a lesson in pastoral theology. It's also a gospel call. Where are you, friends? Where are you? Has God touched you? Has he taken your hand? Is he leading you into salvation? Has he given you life? And you've changed Oh, praise him and thank him. You're beginning to love what once you hated. You're beginning to see. Oh, make sure you repent fully of your sin. Trust him. Trust him. Believe in him. Believe in Calvary alone. Don't think there's anything in you will count towards salvation. Trust in him solely. And you'll come right the way through, illuminated, fully moved, your will committed, you'll know you're his. That's the lesson of the healing of the blind man of Bethsaida.